Good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. I'm going to take a moment to pray here and uh, just say that um, if you are a member of our of the tabernacle and uh, you've received some communication in the mail over the last several weeks from leadership, um, you know that we have had some very difficult things to consider, um, but we also know that uh, those who have come and spoken with us, um, we found that to be very helpful and want to encourage anyone who has any questions to, to uh, speak with us about some of the necessary yet difficult things that we've had to take into consideration. And, uh, but yet this means that uh, we have, a, some levels, a herding church, and uh, we do need to be praying for one another, uh, trusting that the Lord will um, strengthen us. And uh, the Lord is our rock, and He is our fortress, and He does not suffer the righteous to be moved. And so I would encourage you to keep your leadership in prayer, and uh, let's bow our heads right now and just pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that You are a rock. It means that nothing can change You. You are established. You are, you are secure. You are unchanging. And much about the life that we live changes. And so, Father, when we feel overwhelmed, I pray that our hearts would find their way directly to You. We thank You that uh, You are a fortress. When enemies of life assail us and things threaten to undo us, Lord, we can run within You and find all the protection that we need. We are thankful, Lord, that uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sin. Our greatest enemy has been defeated, and that is death itself. And we ask, Father, that You would establish our hearts, that we would not fear, though the tempest may roll. And Father, we thank You that nothing can move us that we are uh, firmly fixed within your hands. So, Father, as we look into this text this morning, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged that you are faithful, that while people may betray us, people may abandon us, you alone, Lord, will stick with us. Uh, you are more faithful than a brother. You are our Savior. And because you died for us, you will not leave us and you will not forsake us. And so, Father, as we look at this text, may our hearts be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we looked at Joseph. Joseph dealt with betrayal. This week, we're looking at him in another light, very similar. He's going to experience the pain of being abandoned and left behind. Now, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed or abandoned before in your own lifetime, you think back, perhaps, where you were trusting in a person and they let you down, there are certain emotions that come to you. And frankly, the emotions that are around betrayal and abandonment are very, very bitter. I don't know if you've really taken the time to think about what these terms mean, but the word betrayal is the breaking or the violation of a contract. It might be presumed, it may not be official, but at least you, you believe that someone was going to keep 
their end of an agreement with you. And so your trust is shaken. There's a confidence that produces some psychological uncertainty in your life. And so there's a lot of emotion uh, that infects you inside. Abandonment is also another one of those, those similar but yet a little bit different experiences. And so it, it often creates a similar emotional state where you feel like um, you're, you're undesired and, you know, you're, you're left behind. You're very insecure in how you feel. Maybe even you feel like you've been discarded into the waste bin. You've just been, been left. There's so many different overwhelming thoughts that come when a person experiences betrayal or abandonment. Maybe they've been deceived when they've had somebody that they thought they trusted, and it's very painful, very painful experience. Uh, maybe they feel that they've been left down, and there's anxiety that comes now from mistrust. A lot of these emotions actually are the opposite of the emotions that you have when you really trust someone and you, you have faith in another person. Uh, you feel secure. You feel like um, very confident. So the opposite of that is that you feel very insecure. You feel like um, you can't trust anyone. In fact, you might even feel like you just want to run away from life might fly away like a bird, so you just leave everything behind that you're experiencing. Psalm 55, verse 6 actually was written by David, and he felt a lot of these emotions. He felt um, like betrayed, and he wrote these words, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. That's exactly how a person feels when a deep and loyal friend sticks a knife in your back. You feel like your world is coming to an end. And so Psalm 55 is, a, is an amazing psalm to turn to if you're feeling uh, overwhelmed and you need rest and you need renewal. I would encourage you, in fact, the, some of the most famous words in the psalms are found there in that betrayal psalm. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a song, that's a, a verse that we often turn to when we're overwhelmed. And maybe you've quoted it before. But all of this is pointing to the reality that Joseph was experiencing in the text that we heard read this morning. It is possible for us to lay too great a confidence in people who may fail us. The stabilizing truth here is that people, while they may abandon you, God will never, ever abandon you. And that is the truth that stabilizes us so that we can understand that no matter what may come about, we have a rock, we have a fortress. His name is Jesus. And for those whom God has declared His commitment to, in Christ, nothing can separate us from His love. And in verse 21, chapter 39, I hope you're there, but in verse 21, uh, this is the hinge that links these two accounts together. Uh, Joseph being betrayed by a woman who, who declared that, you know, he was trying to take advantage of her. And in this case, we have Joseph 
being removed, and now he feels like he's going to be abandoned, left alone in prison. But the linchpin here between these two accounts is verse 21, where it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. This is the linchpin. This is the hinge, I guess, if you will. That word steadfast love is a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that speaks of kindness. It is a a commitment word to another person. Uh, Joseph is actually, interestingly enough, going to appeal to the cupbearer, and he uses the same word that's used in the relationship that he has with God. God has a committed, steadfast love to him. Interestingly, Joseph is going to appeal to the cupbearer and say, look, I have done good things for you. When you're, would you remember me? Would you show kindness to me when you're in Pharaoh's presence? Unfortunately, the cupbearer is an unreliable covenant partner. But God is not. God keeps his word. He shows steadfast faithfulness to Joseph even when his world appears to be falling apart. And in this text, this contrast between the cupbearer and God shows us that people may abandon us, but God will never, ever abandon us. And this is the central truth that hinges here within these two little stories. And so, let's look at this story in a little more detail and take note of what's happening here. In verse 21, as I said, we have uh, that word, steadfast love. But I also want us to note another word in it in which God uh, puts His favor upon him. And so, in verse 21 through the beginning of chapter 40, I want us to see how God surrounds His people with favor as a demonstration of His commitment to them. So, verse 21, we read, and God gave him, that is Joseph, favor in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Finding favor is literally finding grace. Finding value, acceptance. Now, if you've read through the book of Genesis, and I know we're going through some of the stories, the key stories in our Sunday school time from Genesis, and we're reading how that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's the same phrase. Why did Noah find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Because Noah had faith in God that he would keep his promise. And you know what? It was counted to him as righteousness, just like Abraham. The verse that we're memorizing here on each Sunday morning. That faith focus was accounted to him for righteousness. God's grace and favor was upon him. There is faith and grace all involved there. Now, God actually is choosing Joseph here for a purpose. Like Noah, Noah was chosen to provide blessing to the world. All of his offspring would become us someday. 
Joseph also is being chosen to be uh, a vehicle of blessing for others. He is going to go down into, into Egypt, and in Egypt, he's going to be a refuge. He's going to be a safety place for his family. God chose Joseph for a very specific purpose, just as he chose Abraham, just as he chose Noah to accomplish and bring about a purpose. And there's favor surrounding Joseph just as the others. This is very important for us to understand because there is a picture forward here to the favor that is ours because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about this. Noah was surrounded by the favor of God in an ark. He was protected. Joseph was in a prison, but he was protected by God's care. Remember, Jesus was in a tomb, but yet God was caring for him and would bring him out of the tomb. And there's a truth here that you may be surrounded by circumstances, but God is in there protecting you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And God extends favor towards you. He guarantees good for you. Let's look at verses 21 to 23. Verses 21 to 23. God does several things to bring success for you. God orchestrates success. Verse 21. Look at Joseph. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. So who put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners? Who did it? Who put him in charge? Was it God or man? God did it. Now, let's follow the the reasoning here and what's going in explanation. Verse 22, it says, Whatever was done there, he, that is Joseph, was the one who did it. Now, who was the one who got it done? Was it God or man? Don't overthink this. Man. Joseph was the one who got it done. Okay? Now, in verse 23, we read that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. And notice what it says in verse 23. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So who made Joseph successful? Was it God or man? It was God. So how do we reconcile this? On the one hand, we have God doing something, and yet we have man doing something. There's an old story about a man who carried the doctrine of God's sovereignty to such an extreme that he drifted into fatalism. One day he was walking down a flight of stairs, and halfway down the flight of the stairs, he fell to the bottom of the staircase. And he picked himself up, and he wiped himself off, and he said, wow, I'm glad that one's over. He had 
taken too fatalistic a view of God's control of events. And if we are not careful, we can do the same thing. We can be like that man in the story. We can drift into a fatalistic attitude about the sovereignty of God. You know, a, a student who's, who's got an important exam tries to excuse himself at times when he fails because maybe he thinks, you know, well, God's sovereign. He determined that I should fail on that exam. Well, that's not right. That's the wrong attitude. It's an unbelieving attitude, actually. It's actually a foolish attitude because while we know that God orchestrates the success, we trust that while we work hard, that God is working. And so if we work hard, though, and then things don't go the way we think they do, God is still in charge. But we live by faith and we move by faith. It's critically important for us to see this. And so God does show favor, but he does orchestrate success, but he does also orchestrate relationships. Look at chapter 40 and verse four, the first four verses. We're reading in these verses that after a while, he's been in prison, and two of Pharaoh's offices are tossed in with him. They're tossed into prison. Joseph is going about his regular routines, and these two people enter his life. There's a cupbearer and a baker, and both of these were trusted people. They worked with Pharaoh. They were, they were preparing the food of Pharaoh. You know, most people, if they had a grudge against the Pharaoh, there might be an attempt on his life. And a way to get to him was to put something into his drink or into his food. So you had to have very trusted people working alongside of you. And something happened. We don't know exactly what happened. But they weren't trusted anymore. And they were put into the very same prison house as Joseph. And so it's really fascinating how God actually allows relationships to pass here and, and to be in the same place. You know, I think it's important for us to realize that we, we have relationships that God has allowed to form for very specific purposes. These guys were put into the, to the very same prison house that he was located in. Was it Potiphar who put Joseph in the place of caring for these two men? Or was it God? Well, it's a very difficult question, but the reality is God is weaving a story together, and we have a story too. There's a well-known theory called the six degrees of separation. I don't know if you've ever come across it before, but the theory goes like this, that we all have probably the capacity to know everyone in the world by just introducing ourselves to someone who then knows somebody else, and then who knows somebody else, who knows somebody else, and by connection over six introductions, we pretty much can connect to anyone in the world. Now, that's, been, that's, been, that's a study that has, that has come to the surface and has seen to be fairly true, but that used to be the historical reality. The reality is, no longer is it six it's actually because of Facebook and social media, it's down to four connections. You can be connected to everyone in the world. 
That's pretty small world. Think about this for a moment. What if one of your points of connection leads to a gospel conversation which produces faith? Faith in Christ. What kind of impact potentially could your relationships have with the world? We need to recognize that like Joseph, God places relationships into our lives for purposes so that we can share the gospel with them. God is able to use the relationships that He has for His own purposes. Thirdly here, God orchestrates meaning. You know, He's showing favor, but He, he orchestrates relationships. He orchestrates meaning as well. In verse 5 through 8, both of these men, they both dreamed one evening a dream, and what did they dream? The dreams were startling. They don't understand what these dreams mean, but they, they have a hunch that, that there is some sort of a meaning. And Joseph walks in that morning, and he tells them, hey, you guys look down. What's going on? Well, we have had these two dreams. He says, well, do not interpretations belong to God. Now, that's a very significant statement by Joseph. It shows that he believes in God's working. That if God grants experiences, then God has purpose and he has meaning. And these dreams have a function. They reveal that God is knowing what's going to transpire in the world. And the message reveals that God is in control. That's a hard fact. And it's mysterious. God, thankfully, doesn't tell us all of his plans... And he doesn't even tell us the day in which we will will die. I'm telling you, if we had the knowledge that God had, we would be kind of like waiting for the leaf to fall and wondering like, okay, this is going to then result in this. But the reality is, I think that we, we realize that while life doesn't make a lot of sense to us, we understand intuitively that nothing happens by chance. We intuitively know that everything has a purpose. And the difference between faith and fatalism is who's at the wheel? Who's moving this ship that we we live in? Where is it going? I think most of us have probably encountered someone along the line. Lots of unbelievers will say to us, you know, everything has a purpose. How many of you have heard that before? There's a reason for everything. But they don't necessarily know the reason for everything. And we don't either. But the truth is, we have a greater awareness of who is in charge so that we don't have to panic about what we don't understand. The truth is, we have lots of experiences in our life that leave us scratching our heads like Job. And we ask ourselves why, and we need to ask God why. It's okay to ask God why. In fact, we should because He's the only one who could tell us. And we can also believe that God wants to tell us. He will tell us why. He may not tell us on our timetable, 
but eventually he's going to show us the reasons for why he has allowed certain things to happen in our lives. And so we have here Joseph demonstrating that God has meaning to all of the events that we experience. God orchestrates meaning. But yet all of this is even infinitely higher for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, faith in Him. God has found favor with us because of Christ. And so God certainly, certainly uh, will not abandon us. He will not. People might, but God will never abandon us. So, God here is at work. He, he orchestrates success, and He surrounds His people with favor. But God also superintends the destiny of His people. In verses 9 through 23 of Genesis 40, we have two dreams with similar meaning, but yet they've got vastly different outcomes. God is not only in charge of the meaning, He's also in charge of the outcomes of these dreams. God is superintending these dreams and the destiny of His people. While there is an important message for the cupbearer, the baker, they have relevance. They have relevance to Joseph as well. And so there's important principles here that I believe that we can see in these dreams. And the first being that that while we look for meaning in life, delay does not mean that God has forgotten us. So the first dream, verses 9 to 15, we have the cupbearer's dream. God is revealing through Joseph meaning for the cupbearer. Now we read these details, and it might seem fairly obvious to us because we've got the interpretation. We know the outcome. But for the man in the moment, this was baffling. What in the world do these three um, branches represent? And then the preparing of the wine by crushing these, these grapes right off of the, the vine, and then giving them to Pharaoh. What does this all mean? Well, Joseph shows him that Pharaoh is going to bring him up out of prison after three days. He was going to lift up his head. That phrase, lift up his head, might seem a little bit awkward to us, but it refers to being called into the presence of the king. Now, a person in the throne room, in the presence of a a king, what he would do is they would enter with their face down. If they did not have the acknowledgement of the king to look up, if they looked up on their own, it could mean their death sentence. And so as he's walking into the presence of the king in his dream, the king lifts his head up, so to speak. This is the opportunity to be accepted by the king again. This is what uh, Joseph gives to him as an explanation. And so there's good news here for the cupbearer. Now, somewhere along the line, Joseph had told these men what had happened to him. Because we see in verse 15 a little description of the injustice that Joseph has faced throughout his short life, living in Canaan, 
being thrown into a pit, it says. He, 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 it's kind of like a summary statement about the last number of years, last 11 years of his life have been horrible. It was like he, he was thrown into the pit. And now he's being thrown into prison by Potiphar. And so he's, he's explained this to the men. And so now he says to the cupbearer, look, because I've done this for you, will you not possibly do this for me? So he's asking the cupbearer on the basis of being like a, a partner to be in agreement, I've done a nice thing for you, will you please scratch my back? That's what he's basically saying. But in verse 14, he uses language that I had mentioned earlier that was very important to the flow of these events. He says, remember me, please do me the kindness to do these things. Remember. Now, that's not like, hey, I forgot this where my car keys were. This is, this is making good on a prior commitment. Will you keep your end of the bargain is what Joseph is asking him. That when you come into the presence of Pharaoh, that you will be faithful to me, that you will demonstrate a loyalty to me to, me, to present my case before Pharaoh. That is a classic agreement terminology that's coming up here. God remembers his own people, his chosen people. Back in the story of Ruth, the story of Ruth, you might remember that, that God had brought judgment upon the land, and so Ruth's, uh, the family of Boaz migrated out of Israel and went away into the foreign land. Well, the Scripture tells us in the story of Ruth that God remembered his agreement in his, to be kind to his people and brought blessings to the land again. This is the same idea that Joseph is expressing here. And so he wants, he wants him to remember him in the presence of Pharaoh based on his previous agreement. Now, I believe here that Joseph is struggling with God's delay. You know what? Joseph hears he's interpreting the dreams of these guys, and it's like their answer is three days away. That's pretty quick. Their sentence of unjust sentence, so to speak, is like only three days, and then this guy's restored again. Joseph's been a slave, and he's been in prison now for 11 years. And Joseph's prayer has not been answered immediately. No doubt he's been calling upon the Lord to relieve him of everything that he's experiencing. He's been a slave, but yet God's not answering in the time in which perhaps Joseph is looking. Remember, he had a dream as well. He had a dream that one day his whole family would bow down to him. He's not seen that happen yet. That was quite some time ago. But yet there is a delay. And it's important for us to realize that because God doesn't answer our prayers immediately doesn't mean that God has forgotten us. God intends to bring good for us spiritual good for us over time. 
we forget that God doesn't live in our time frame. A day with the Lord is like a thousand, and a thousand like a day. The promises that God made for us before the foundation of the world are just as much ours now as they were then and they will be for all of eternity. Remember that in a fullness of time, Christ was born of a virgin. It was in the fullness of time. It was at the right time. And God is faithful to keep all of his promises to us, and he will keep them all in the right time. God is working. He is growing people. God is going to bring vibrancy for his glory and for the good of his people. God is working and he grows people. He doesn't work on our time frame, but he's working, always working. (coughs) Delay does not mean that God has forgotten. Now, on the opposite side, action does not mean that people will follow through. Verse 16 to 23, action does not mean that people will follow through. We have the dream of the baker now. He steps up bravely. He's heard a good interpretation of a dream for the cupbearer, and he's thinking to myself, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm going to get a good interpretation too. Unfortunately, Joseph's a little bit poetic here in his articulation of the dream. He's a little bit too poetic. In fact, as I read it, I'm like, Joseph, you shouldn't talk like this to a guy who's going to lose his head in three days. It's a little awkward. And so Joseph describes the three baskets representing three days like the cupbearer, but this time his head will be lifted up, but off of his head, off of his body. His head's going to be lifted up off his body, and he's going to be The word in most translations here is hanged, but it really is literally being impaled. He's going to be put on a stake and impaled. And the birds are going to come and pluck the flesh off of him. Like the roadkill that you see along the highway. This is going to be his end. And so lo and behold, Pharaoh's birthday celebration, it's a day of jubilee, it's a day of like, release here within, the, within their world. And uh, it happens just exactly the way Pharaoh, uh, Joseph had said. Now there's been a great delay, a great delay for Joseph. The cupbearer goes right back to where he was. Now wouldn't you expect that the chief cupbearer would remember Joseph just three days ago? You know what? That is the great difference between God and people. People tend to be consumers. Only loyal as long as there's a good party. The consumer relationship is very real. And I'm usually in the game until it starts to inconvenience me. It would have been very awkward three days after for the cupbearer to have made a case for this fellow prisoner. But it was his responsibility, 
to do so. But this is so common in human experience. I mean, you and I, we shop at Walmart until we can't handle the lines. And then what do we do? We switch to Amazon. I mean, some other business comes up with a more convenient way for me. I'm gone from the other thing that I used to like. There's no obligation. I mean, I give the guy money and they give me goods. We take groceries, they take my money. But the reality is, that's not how it works with God. God never walks out of relationships that He establishes with His people. People are people, they're not like God. And thank goodness that's the case. People might abandon you, but God will never abandon you. Joseph asked for compensation for services that he had given to the cupbearer, and the cupbearer fell through. That's not the way God works. God always keeps his promises. He never, ever lies. In fact, our God is so great that he keeps both ends of agreements that he makes with his people. We can't possibly keep up our end of the agreement. You know, it's important truth to remember because in so much of our life, we have people who, who abandon us. There are many who stand at the altar and they say their vows to one another, never imagining that one day their spouse of many years would in fact abandon them. Children turn away from parents in ingratitude. Employers fire people who have served for over 30 years. And it's easy for bitterness to sink in. But we have to remember that our confidence doesn't come in people, it comes from God. God will never ever abandon us. And when people fail you, bitterness can come in. And we need to ask ourselves, have we put more faith in people than we have in God? Have I set my security in sinful souls? Or do I put my security in the God who never changes? I know it's an easy thing to do, but it's actually a statement of unbelief in God. We have to actually put our faith purposely in God and repent and turn away from trusting in people who will let us down. People may abandon us, but God will never abandon us. God surrounds His people with favor. He superintends the destiny of His people. See, the Lord's presence was with Joseph just as God's presence was with his father. Joseph's father, Jacob, had wandered away from the land of Canaan and lived with Uncle Laban, who, who deceived him multiple, multiple times. But God's presence never left him and brought him safely home. In the life of Joseph, we're going to see this as well, God being faithful always with him 
in Potiphar's house in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of being left abandoned in prison. In spite of all of this, God will never leave Joseph and God will never leave us. Ultimately, the prison door here is going to become the door to the palace. And God will bring favor. He will bring blessing. I think it's important for us to realize just how important it is for us to remain loyal to God. We don't know what the future is. We don't know what our own personal existence will be. But we too are called to be loyal, faithful in our relationship with God. But knowing in the end that God will not let us go. Christ, the Son of God, experienced abandonment. He was hung on that cross for three days. And hanging on that cross for three days, he was or th- in, in the tomb for three days, excuse me. While he was in the tomb, he was abandoned. He did that so that we would never have to experience abandonment from God ourselves. We have a great Savior, and we have to give thanks for that. Let's pray.